0: This is Taquan McKnight, and you are listening to I Am Next Generation Youth Ministry Podcast. This is a show that covers issues and topics that is geared towards our youth, young adults, and adults. And it's also a podcast for those who may love the Word of God or may have questions about certain issues, certain topics, certain debates that the Bible speaks about. And also, too, this is an interactive program. And wherever you may be listening or however you may be listening, Thank you so very much for making this program a very special part of your day. Before we get into the Word of God, let's have a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you now in the precious name of your dear Son, Jesus Lord. We thank you for your spirit. Lord, we thank you for all that you have given us. Thank you for being our guide and our teacher. Lord, as we dive deep into your word and we declare over ourselves that the eyes of our understanding may be enlightened so that we may know what is the hope of our calling. And thank you that the entrance of your word brings light. Thank you, Lord, that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you that your word is truth and we are sanctified by your truth. In the precious, holy, majestic, mighty, precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Now, we have been doing a podcast series lately on the top 14 encounters with God. And today, Lord willing, I want us to conclude with the the final five. The final five we're going to discuss is the concept of obedience, the Holy Spirit, spiritual goals, witnessing, and last but not least. One of my favorite topics, the area of prayer. There we go. I almost couldn't tell what was the other one, but we're okay. Anyway, we're going to talk about obedience, prayer, witnessing, spiritual goals, and the doctrine and person of the Holy Spirit. But I want us to talk about the concept of obedience, and today's topic is to obey or not to obey That is the question. Obedience, to obey or not to obey, that is the question. Let me give you a little scenario to help you understand what we're going to get into. Have you ever taken an architectural class or have you been amazed and glamored by the way certain buildings, certain structures of a building just grasped your mind and attention? Now, in order to build a proper building, Whether it's for a school, whether it's for a house, or whether you're building any type of department or whatever kind of company, the most important thing when it comes to building a house or any type of building is not just the blueprint. Yes, the blueprint is important because you gotta know the structure and the division of the building, and you gotta know how many levels, how many stories, what goes where, where do the appliances, the electricity, and everything else go. But more importantly, the most important key is having a strong foundation. You see, without a strong foundation, the structure of the house will not stand right. Everything will just be weak, wobbly, and eventually collapse down. What's the point? The point of the matter is, when it comes to the area of obedience, we have to understand and realize, Jesus wants you to realize that obedience and obeying God will give your life a solid foundation. Again, Jesus wants you to realize that obedience and obeying God will give your life a solid foundation. Is that important? Absolutely it is. In fact, the Bible tells us throughout from Genesis to Revelation that the concept of obedience plays an important role in the life of the Christian. For example, in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty-two, it says that obedience is greater than sacrifice. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. In Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 4, as Moses is about to die and as he is instructing the new generation that arose up in the wilderness during the 40 years, he makes this point very clear for them. He says, serve only the Lord your God and fear him only. Obey his commands and listen to his voice and cling to him. Over in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, the author of the book of Hebrews, while writing to the church that had been scattered throughout and was experiencing persecution from all different sides and angles, the author would write, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy, not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Over in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 27, in Matthew 16 and verse 27, Jesus is teaching the disciples after he talks about the announcement of the establishment of the church. He gives them this clear understanding. He says, For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, he says to them again. If you obey my teachings, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth shall what? Make you free. Can you say amen? As we get ready to look at Luke chapter 6, which is going to be our main foundation scripture, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus gave while he gave the Sermon on the Mountain to help his listeners Understand and know and realize the importance of obeying God and obeying his word and why it should be in importance to your everyday life. In Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46, this is what Jesus do. He teaches about building on a solid foundation. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you do not do what I say, says Jesus? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, And then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the flood waters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and does not obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the flood water comes down against that house, it will collapse into heaps of ruin as we read this passage of scripture together i want you to ask yourself the main question what foundation are you building your life on if is it the shifting sands of human opinions and human philosophies which teaches that the only thing that matters in life is me myself and i that is why you are on this planet and that's why you are here on this earth in fact as we look around our world today in most colleges and most universities one study shows that when any young person attends a college or a university, the biggest class topic that they'll attend is philosophy. Philosophy. Now, is philosophy wrong? No, not at all. There are times in which there are good philosophy, and other times there are bad philosophy. Like in other times there's good ideology and bad ideology. Think of it in this manner. If I was to tell you to take out a piece of paper, And you draw a circle on one side of the paper. Inside the circle, you write down all of your problems, all of your troubles, the things that you go through each and every day of your life. And then you draw a cross outside of that circle. That represents philosophy. Philosophy says that the cross cannot meet all of your problems and that the cross can be met only on certain issues that you're facing in life. But on the other hand, if you draw a circle on the back side of the piece of paper, write all your problems again, you draw a big cross right there, that represents ideology. Ideology teaches that the cross can meet all of your troubles and all of your problems. To summarize it in an easier way, God neatly fashioned a tree to fit your problems and mine. Everything that we're in need of is found only at the cross of Jesus Christ and nothing else. You see, the problem is in most churches, in most youth groups, they say that the answer is not found in Christ, but in other things. That's why you see a great divide in most churches, and that's why you see certain youth ministries not flourishing, not being prosperous as the way it should be, because they're looking towards works. They're looking towards their own ideas. They're looking toward man instead of looking towards God and what the Word of God says. Or are you going to be building your life On the fact that you were created in the image and likeness of God. You are unique. In fact, when God created you in his image, you have the mark of his DNA on you. I mean, look at yourself. Look at your hands. Look at your fingers. Look at your feet. Look at your eyes. Look at your hair. You are unique. Nobody else looks like you. Now, if you have an identical twin, that's a different story. But the point of the matter is, there's nobody in this world like you you are only you. And also too, when you look at creation around you, God, the first designer, the first artist, when he created the world, if God is willing to bless his creation, is he not willing to bless you? You are very special in his sight. And if you're sitting there, I want you to say, I am very special in God's sight. At the time of our text, we learn that Jesus is teaching to a large crowd in and around the Sea of Galilee on a big mountaintop. Crowds of thousands upon thousands have gathered to hear what this teacher from Nazareth had to say. Now, Jesus had already given the Beatitudes, like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are pure in heart, etc. He gives the Beatitudes, then he gives out general guidelines for intensive discipleship in which you are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and how to live out God's principles through fasting, through giving, through prayer, through your treasures. And now he closes out the Sermon on the Mountain with the importance of commitment. Are you going to be a faithful person committed to God and the claims of Jesus Christ? And he uses a perfect example when he taught about the wise man building his house on the rock and the foolish man building his house upon the sand now many times people would ask the question why would the foolish man build his house upon the sand when he knows and when he realizes that a big storm is approaching now there are different opinions and different views on it some have said that it was perhaps to save time and to avoid the hard work of preparing the stone another view says that it was possible that the waterfront scenery was more attractive or because beach houses back in biblical times had higher social status than cliff houses another view in which they say is that people might want to join their friends who have already settled in the sandy areas but whatever the case may be many people think that Disasters can't happen to them. They discounted the facts and they say, oh, it's just a beautiful day. Nothing's going to happen. Maybe if I build my house and everything goes well, what could go wrong? Now, they didn't have weather apps back in biblical times. They didn't have the Weather Channel or Fox News or NBC or ABC. What they did was they would look at the sky and Whatever was occurring in the sky, they'll know if it was good weather, bad weather, if a storm was on the rise, or if a sandstorm or whatever the case may be, they would get themselves in preparation. So I had no doubt that it was possible while the guy was building his house on the sand and hurrying and preparing that the wiser gentleman was probably looking at the sky and he realized, hmm, this is odd. The sky, the clouds, they're getting ready to get darkened. What's going on? Huh. I think a storm is coming. Maybe if I build my house on stone, I would be safe. And eventually, he gets saved. Now, God. Now, the Bible never tells us or God doesn't reveal to us what happened to the man who built his house upon the sand. We don't know if he got swept away with the storm or not. It's possible he did or he probably ran next door to his buddies and he let him in. But what's the gist of it? The point of the matter is, The storms of life will come in our lifetime. That's one of the key points. Storms of life will come in our lifetime and other times God may or he will allow storms into our lives to test our faith to see how loyal and faithful we would be to him. But the big key picture that we need to understand is we have to make sure that our life is built on the solid foundation of knowing and trusting Jesus Christ. What did Paul the Apostle say when he wrote to the church at Corinth? When he was writing to that church that was experiencing trouble and chaos from all different sides, this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. He says this, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we have already, which is Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because the foundation of our life is Jesus Christ. He is our base, our reason for being. Everything we are and what we do must fit into the pattern provided only by Him. Now you need to ask yourself the question, are you building your life on the only real and lasting foundation? Or are you building on a faulty foundation such as wealth, security, success, and fame? Be careful on how you build. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul would go on and says, Those who build on gold, silver, or jewels, or wood, hay, or stubble, it talks about how the fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done and see if it has any value. And I challenge each and every single one of you, keep your eyes and attention on Jesus Christ. In fact, I challenge you get a journal. List one area of your life where you are obeying God and one area in which you are not. Say thanks to God for helping you to want to obey Him. Amen? Amen. So what else do we need to do as believers? What are my other encounters with God? What about the Holy Spirit? How can he be important to my heart and soul and life? Why is it so important to share my testimony? Why is it so important I stay connected with God on a daily basis? Why is it so important I need to set goals in my life as a Christian? We'll talk about all of those issues and we're going to cover each and every single one of those topics in just a moment. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. So stay tuned. for our next segment. And the next segment I want us to look at is a topic you don't hear so much talked about in churches. You don't hear so much preached on in churches. Now, you may have heard about it. You may have heard it when you took seminary classes or you may have heard it being referenced to in a sermon. But do we really understand this area in which we're going to look at? And I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now... Many times, as a Christian, the doctrine of, a, of the Holy Spirit is not so easily welcomed at times. Sometimes people have good views, in other cases bad views, about the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is one of the most important fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit is one of the most important fundamental doctrines of the faith the Christian faith for us believers. Now, why is that so important? Because we have to understand that it is one of the greatest resources that God has ever given to us as believers. The Holy Spirit is one of the greatest resources that God has given to us as believers. How awesome is that? To better yet understand the person of the Holy Spirit, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought that someone knew you better? Or to better yet, another question, has someone ever labeled you? Have you ever felt misunderstood? See people get the wrong idea and the wrong concept that everybody in the world knows them better. Sadly to say, no one in this world can know you better, except for one person, the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, as a new Christian, you have been given God's precious Holy Spirit. What is so important? What is so great about the Holy Spirit? Well, we have to understand it has a relationship with the Father and with the Son. It is part of the Trinity in which we have in our basic Bible doctrines. It is one God with three persons. That's what the Trinity is all about. It's one God expressed in three persons. You have the Father who loves mankind and has a plan for mankind. You have the Son of God, which was obedient unto death, which came incarnate in human flesh to die on the cross and shed his blood, forgive man of sin, to reconcile man back to God, and rise from the dead to assure us and guarantee us the promise of eternal life and give us the assurance of his soon return. And then you have the Holy Spirit, which dwells in God the believer. You have the Holy Spirit, which dwells in the believer. Now, what is so unique about the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit is known by different names. In the Old and the New Testament, it is known as the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Wisdom, the Spirit of Counsel, the Spirit of Might, the Spirit of Understanding, the Spirit of Knowledge, the Spirit of Counsel, and the Spirit of the Fear of the Lord. It is also known as the eternal promise, the spirit of truth, the spirit of life, the spirit of grace, the spirit of His Son. It is known as holiness, burning and cleansing, the promise of the Father, and much more. Now, that's good in all that, but why is the Holy Spirit important to us? What kind of roles do it play? Well, the Bible tells us the personality of the Holy Spirit can be expressed in different areas. It is known as the Comforter, in which sent by the Father and sent by the Son, he will reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's according to John 16, verses 1 through 13. Then, right over in John chapter 14 and 26, and also in verses 16 and 17, it is known as the Comforter. The Paraclete or the paraklesis in the Greek language, in which it is called alongside us, in which the Holy Spirit as a comforter, he comforts us in times of our trouble, in times of our pain and grief. It is also known as the person that encourages us in our walk with the Lord, but it also convicts us. And the goal is to glorify Jesus. That's the main goal of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. It is also known in a personality realm as the Spirit of Truth, in which it will guide people into truth. The Holy Spirit will not speak of Himself. He shall glorify Jesus and speak of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit creates life of God in us. Again the Holy Spirit creates the life of God inside of us. It is also an intercessor. According to Romans 8.27, in which he cries out to the Father and carries our prayers to the throne of God. The Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 2.10, which we're going to examine, he searches. The Holy Spirit can also forbid and can permit, restrain, speak. It can be grieved, and it can be prayed about and prayed for. Amen? Amen. But throughout the Bible, in fact... Even in the New Testament, not just in the Old Testament, the New Testament speaks highly about the Holy Spirit. Again, if you want to learn more about the roles of the Holy Spirit, you can read John chapters 14, 15, and 16, the final discourse that Jesus would give before he would go to the cross and die for mankind. He would give that long discourse. He would speak more on the Holy Spirit right before his Passion Week. And other references, such as Joel 2.29 and Acts 238, it speaks of a time in which in the last days, God will pour out his precious Holy Spirit upon all flesh and the sons and daughters will prophesy. And during the time of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching and when he was reminding them, hey, Jesus is the fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies. The man you crucified, he himself is indeed the savior of the world. He can change you. He can forgive you. He can redeem you. All you got to do is put your faith and trust in him. And when the people heard this, they were convicted. They're like, this is a heavy message. Okay, well, what do we do? Oh, how can we fix this? What shall we do, Peter? And Peter would tell them, repent and believe and be baptized, every single one of you, so that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it is a promise for you and for your family. Also in Luke 11, 13 says this, that your, your fathers of this world know how to give bad gifts to their children. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask for the Holy Spirit? And then you have in Romans eight eleven. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, even he that raised up Christ from the dead also shall quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells within you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9-16, through 16, Paul would write to the church in Corinth, and he would talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit can bring about wisdom and discernment. And this is what he says. This is what the scripture mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secret. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. As we received God's spirit into the world's spirit, I mean, and and we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, sorry about that. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us, by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach it? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. In this passage of Scripture, what we have to understand is that the book of 1 Corinthians was written by the hand of the Apostle Paul in around 55 AD, right around the time in which he was conducting his three-year stay in the region of Ephesus during his second missionary journey. And the book of 1 Corinthians was written to help solve the problems within the church. It is the book of New Testament church order and the book of correction. What was going on during that time was that Corinth was one of the most prosperous, prominent, successful Greek villages in and around the area of Greece. In and around the region of the Greco-Roman Greco- Empire, the New Testament times. It was a city that was constantly known for idolatry. Immorality, social injustice, division, rioting, fighting, bickering, violence, and so forth. But you will see all of those play an important role even in the churches in Corinth in which people were abusing the Lord's supper misusing the gifts of the spirit, always in constant division, no unity. And so Paul would come along the scene and would be like, this is not how a church should be. This is how the order of church worship should be conducted. This is how... The Lord's Supper should be, and also too, this is how you activate properly in the gifts of the Spirit. And one of the other problems that the church was having in Corinth was the emphasis of wisdom and discernment. Some people weren't even using the wisdom God had gave them when it came to making decisions. Some would make hasty decisions that would end it in nasty results. Other times people would pretend and claim that they have discernment when in truth they really didn't. In fact, Did you know that the discerning of spirits is actually a gift of the Spirit? Someone's like, wait, discerning of spirits is a gift of the Spirit? Absolutely. It falls into a category known as the revelation gifts. What are revelation gifts? You know, one of these days I might do a podcast series on the gifts of the Spirit, and that's going to be an adventure. But let me give you a little sneak peek. The revelation gifts are gifts that reveal things. When they flow, knowledge flows. They all come by the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't come from your own wisdom and your own human reasoning. They come by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we got to remember, the Holy Spirit knows everything. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. When it comes to the area of discerning of spirits, you got to remember, it is the divine ability to see or discern in three areas. When the presence of the Holy Spirit is flowing and moving, when there's the presence of an angelic being or a demonic being, or whether it's false doctrine, false prophets being exposed and lurking, and you can look into the hearts of man. There's no such thing as the gift of discernment. That's where people get into a big bind, they tend to think, oh, the discerning of spirits. I have the gift of discernment. There's no such thing. That is not a biblical concept. Now, there's a thing called the discerning of spirits, but there's no term used in the Bible called the gift of discernment. There's no such thing. You see, there will be a check or alarm going off in your heart when you know when something is right or when something is wrong. You see, the, the gift of I mean the discerning of spirits along with the gift of wisdom and the gift of knowledge those gifts can overlap And you will perceive things supernaturally by the Spirit of God pertaining to the situation in people's lives So why is spiritual discernment so important because we got to understand this It will help you draw conclusions based on God's perspective in other words You're looking from God's point of view instead of from your own point of view it will help you make wise decisions, another key thing. Sometimes in our world today, we tend to do things without thinking first. Think before you do, as what we would say sometimes. When it comes to a decision that you're on for sure of, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see if this is right or if it's wrong. And you can also... Recognize the activities of God's Spirit when the Holy Spirit is being present You can tell even in church services you can feel or sense when the Spirit of God is moving in that church in a person's heart and life And that's why Paul would say don't quench the Spirit Don't put out the fire when God's Spirit is moving in the heart of the life of a person. Let it happen another thing too It will help you distinguish the correct and incorrect use of Scripture and also help you identify and expose false doctrine. So in other words, when a person who claims to be of God and they're preaching what they think is thus saith the Lord, but is out of their own theory, out of their own mindset, don't listen to that profession. It may be false. So why is it so important to know that the Holy Spirit really understands you? Well, because you can ask God to give you his discernment as you serve him. Wherever God has called you, whatever 5 ministry you feel called into, God can give you the gift of discernment. And also, too, the Holy Spirit is God's promise or guarantee of eternal life for those who believe and put their faith and trust in Him. And God will also give you insight into what God is like and what He has in store for you. The Holy Spirit is life-giving, and He is the power behind the rebirth of every Christian. So I challenge you, as you go throughout your day, I challenge you to read Romans seven, Romans 7.15 all the way to Romans 8 verses one through 11 that tells you more about the person of the Holy Spirit. And I challenge you to write down one question that you'd like to ask the Holy Spirit to help you with and take a couple of minutes and just listen to God. Tell him thank you. From there we move into the next area. The area of spiritual goals. Now, this is an area that we sometimes tend to not do so well in. Why would you say that? Because the concept of spiritual goals is we are to be like Christ. Now, many times, even around the holiday season, especially Christmas, New Year's time, we tend to write down goals that we have. Like, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to cut down on sugar, or I'm going to read my Bible every day, or I'm going to pray every day, or I'm going to go to church when it opens its door, and so forth. But, even when we get to the first part of the the first year, we tend to start, but we don't finish well. Now, God bless people's souls, there are those who tend to go all the way through. And I give you props. Other times, we start, but we don't finish. What's the point? The point of the matter is, imagine you have been a Christian for a short time, and you're learning that you have a lifelong relationship with Christ. So you need to ask yourself, if I have a lifelong relationship with Christ, what are the long range plans that I need to have set out, that I need to accomplish? The most important thing is, becoming like Christ is the ultimate goal. Becoming like Christ is the ultimate goal. Amen? Amen. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, as Paul would make his case, as he would defend the person and nature of Jesus Christ, as the church in Colossae was infused with doctrines of heresy and mysticism, and the idea of Gnosticism, now Gnosticism played an important role back in the ancient world, even into our world today. Now most people ask, is Gnosticism a bad thing? Absolutely, I advise you not to get involved with it because Gnosticism teaches that God is not incarnate in the human flesh, that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, that he didn't really die for the sins of the human world, but it's based on mythology and other stories and fantasies. In fact, when you look at some of the cults in our world today, they have a lot of viewpoints, a lot of different angles about the person and work of Christ. And some of you are like, oh, Gnosticism can't be that wrong. Oh, yeah, it can. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses teaches, for example, that Jesus is not God. Before he lived on earth, he was Michael the archangel. Jehovah made the universe through him. On earth, he was a man who lived a perfect life. After dying on a stake not a cross, he was resurrected as a spirit. His body was destroyed. Jehovah's Witnesses also teach that Jesus is not coming again. He returned invisibly in 1914 in spirit and that soon and very soon he and the angels will destroy all non-Jehovah's Witnesses. Then you have the Mormon perspective in which it teaches that Jesus is a separate God from the Father a.k.a. Elohim. He was created as a spirit child by the Father and Mother in Heaven and is the elder brother of all men and spirit beings, including Lucifer himself. Now, his body was created through sexual union between Elohim and Mary. Jesus was married. His death on the cross does not provide full atonement for all sin, but does provide everyone with resurrection. In fact, Seventh-day Adventist teaches that According to Ellen White, the founder of the Seventh-day Adventist, says that God the Father exalted Jesus to be his son, thus provoking Lucifer's jealousy and the big war in heaven, so to speak. Jesus is our example to prove we can live sinlessly. His sacrifice on the cross did not complete the atonement. Since 1844, he has been applying his blood in heaven in an ongoing investigative judgment, after which he will return. Also identified as Michael the Archangel, most Adventists. Adventist founders deny Jesus' deity. In fact, Christian science has gone even farther and worse to say that Jesus was not the Christ, but a man who displayed the Christ idea. Christ means perfection, not a person, according to their theological basis. Jesus was not God, and God can never become man or flesh. He did not suffer and could not suffer for sins. He did not die on the cross. He was not resurrected physically. He will not... Turn or come back literally and I know most of you out there that are listening to this podcast. You might be in that category I'm sorry to say this not all roads lead to heaven not all roads lead to God You get to God you get to heaven through one way and that's by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and In his shed blood the atonement that he made on the cross now, let me tell you this God indeed and let me tell you this, Jesus is indeed the Son of God. He's fully God, fully man at the exact same time. And I could prove to you in Scripture, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. And Him was life, and that life was the light of man. John 1, 1 through 1-3. And it says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory which he received as the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. In Genesis 1.26, it says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image. Who was he talking about? And he wasn't talking about angels because angels are created beings. They don't have the power and authority to by command, create things out of nowhere. So it was talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that was all there. You see, God was the one who planned to initiate the creation. It was God the Son that holds the creation together. And it's the Spirit of God that was hovering over the earth during the time of creation. But I want you to know, Jesus Christ is who he said he is. Fully God, fully man. There's no other way around it. But anyway, back to my point. In Colossians 3, 10-11, Paul would tell the church in Colossae about living the new life, what Christians should do. Here's what he says. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. And he goes on to say, since God chose you to be holy people, he loves you. Therefore, clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others, above all clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. So what is the point of those verses? What Paul was teaching each and every single one of us is that every Christian is in a continuing education program. Why is that? Because the more we know of Christ and of his work, the more we are being changed to be like him. Him. Now, is it easy? Now, is it a quick, easy process? No, it is not. Because the price because the process is lifelong, we must never stop learning and obeying. Here's another key concept. There is no justification for drifting along, but there is an incentive to find the rich treasures of growing in Him. Now, it takes practice, ongoing review, patience, concentration, to keep in line with His will. Now you got to remember this too. That's why you see so many churches in a disarray or in division. Because part of the ministry is about loving the people. Okay, You'll have pastors and ministers who say that they like ministry, but they just can't stand the people. They just can't stand helping others. Paul would challenge the church in 1 Thessalonians 5 to warn the unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. Let me explain these two views for you. When you're involved in any type of ministry, you got to learn to love everybody. You see, love God and love people is not just a great motto on the back of your car or on your refrigerator or hanging up in your office or a nice little um, motto that you might see on a church website. Yeah, it's good and all that. But do you really understand what it means in which you love God with all your heart and soul and mind and that you love your neighbor as yourself? There are times in which people claim that they do both, but in truth, they don't. Because you got to remember, the body of Christ is made up of sinners who have been saved and changed and redeemed and transformed by the grace and power of God, who have been washed clean and sanctified in the blood of the Lamb, and they have been baptized into the Spirit of God. Everybody's in different levels and different stages in life. Not everybody is all spiritual giants. That's where most... Times people tend to go wrong. is that, oh, they're taking so much, too long time to grow in their walk with the Lord. They should be where I'm at by this point. saying I'm giving up on them. No, 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 no. That's not what the attitude of the mindset is. Everybody's in different levels. Now, if they're making good progress, if they're making good process, then we are to be patient with them. But we got to remember, too, when it's necessary, warn the unruly. It's the Greek word from which you get the term luthesia, from which you get the term luthetic. Rebuke those who are about to bring trouble, disobedience, insubordination, or division within the church. Don't just pass it off like it's not important. No, if you see a person trying to cause trouble within the body of Christ, correct, deal with it, get rid of it, before it gets out of hand. But Paul would also say comfort those who are hurting. And the word comfort is the Greek word paraklesis, from which we get the term the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Comfort those who are hurting, those who are weak. Bring about support and encouragement. You see, everybody is not up at times. We who are up need to reach down to those who are down and lift them up. So when we're down and they're up, they can lift us up. That there's an ongoing ministry going back and forth in the body of Christ. So what does it mean when Paul talks about putting on the new nature? It means like this. Your conduct should match your faith. If you are a Christian, you should act like it. To be a Christian means more than just making good resolutions and having good intentions. Nothing wrong with having good resolutions and bringing about good intentions, as long as you do it the right way. But the more important thing is take the right actions. This is a straightforward step that is simple as putting on your clothes. There are things you got to get rid of, evil practices and immorality. Once you allow the Holy Spirit to come in and burn that out of you, then you can commit yourself to what Christ teaches if you made such a commitment to Christ. And if you are, are you remaining true to it? What old clothes do you need to strip off? And Paul lets us know. you got to strip off your old sinful nature. And he says in verse 8, Get rid of anger, rage, malice, behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. But instead, he tells us to clothe ourselves in which we imitate Christ's compassion having a forgiving attitude, let love guide your life, let his peace rule your heart and mind, being thankful, keeping God's word with you at all times, and live as Jesus' representatives to the world. So why are all these virtues important as a Christian? Why do I need to set those goals in my heart and mind? You see, as we clothe ourselves with these virtues, the last garment we are to put on is love, which holds all of the others in place. To practice any list of virtues without practicing love will lead to distortion, fragmentation, and eventually stagnation. In fact, God knows the plans that he has for your heart and life. Like he would tell Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 29 in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Is that important? Yes, it is. Because we got to understand God, who knows the future, provides our agenda and goes with us as we fulfill his mission. And when we know for sure he can do all those things, we can have a boundless hope. We have to understand, too, there are times of circumstances it appears that God may forgot about you. But you got to remember, God will be there with you always, and he will be in the season of your life getting ready to prepare you for what lies ahead. Amen. Amen. So I encourage you, make a list of at least five ways you want to become more like Christ. Spend each and every single day asking God to help you. Remind yourself to read this part of your journal in one month to check on your spiritual growth on a scale of one to ten. One mean being bad, ten mean all the way out. Amen? Amen. So what about witnessing in prayer? Why are they important key factors? We'll find out in our last segment. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're back for our final segment. Today, I want us to conclude with talking about witnessing. How to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Have you ever had good news that you want to tell others? Good news that might be you're moving, you got promoted, you're getting ready to graduate, you're about to get married, you're about to have your first child, you got your first job. Whatever the case may be. When you get those good news, you don't tend to keep it within your heart and soul and mind. You don't tend to keep it within yourself. You want to share that with others. You want to let others know about the great news so that they, in turn, can spread to others. Well, did you know that when Jesus Christ saved you and when you put your faith and trust in him, and when you shared the good news with your friends and family, letting them know, hey, you said yes to Christ, you put your faith and trust in him, in which it sparked a great joy that they went and told others about it. Why is that important? You see, if you have a close friend, you can't keep from talking about that person. You see, when you love someone, you can hardly contain yourself. That is for Jesus Christ. we got to let our love for Christ motivate us to tell others about Him. How important is it to tell others about Jesus Christ? Very, very important. You see, we have testimonies of someone bringing us to the Lord. How many of you can say beyond the shadow of a doubt that you had a parent or a coworker or a pastor, a grandparent or a friend, brother, sister, whatever the case may be, bringing you to the Lord? And we all have stories like that. In fact, we have a testimony to share with others about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It's time as believers that we introduce others to Jesus Christ. It's time that we let others know about the love of Jesus Christ. And you can find that throughout scripture about people bringing others to Jesus Christ. For example, in John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42, when Jesus called his first disciples, Andrew, which was among the first, went and told his brother Peter about Jesus, and he brought Peter to Jesus. And then in the same case, when Philip encountered Jesus later in the region of Cana in Galilee, he went and brought his friend Nathanael and brought Nathanael to Jesus Christ. Then you will read in John chapter 4, in which Jesus conversates with the woman at the well, another example. He engages in a conversation with the Samaritan woman, and eventually he reveals his messiahship to him. She is in shock. She ran and and grabbed her husband she even told the whole village about Jesus and it turns out the whole village comes to put their faith and trust in him because of the woman's testimony and in fact John would write and says then the people of Samaria said now we believe not because of what you said not, not because of the others but we ourselves have heard him and we know that he is the Christ the savior of the world or how about in john chapter 8 when jesus is teaching in the temple and a group of pharisees and the priests brought in a woman caught in the act of adultery and eventually jesus forgives her and despises and condemns his critics and the woman went away changed and transformed healed redeemed and forgiven Or what about in Mark chapter 2 when Jesus is preaching in a house in Capernaum and four men brought their friend to Jesus to see if he could heal their friend of whatever sickness of paralysis or lameness that he had, and eventually the man got healed and walked away praising the Lord. Or what about this instance? In Acts chapters 9, 10, and 11, with the story of Paul the Apostle having his conversion on the road to Damascus after he was once a former persecutor, a blasphemer, he went around telling everybody about Jesus Christ. Even in Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus heals the blind men of Jericho, he tells them, Hey, I healed you guys. Don't tell anyone about this. But they went around and told everyone about them. What was the thing that they all had in common? Yes, their lives were changed and transformed when they met the Savior. But more importantly, they went around and shared the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone. They told everyone about his saving grace. They told everyone of what Jesus can do in their heart and soul and life. And it reminds me of a passage of Scripture that really clarifies this concept in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, when Paul would write to the little church at Thessalonica, which was already starting up, even though it was a baby church, he, Paul would admonish the church by saying, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you have become followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you may become examples to all in Macedonia and Acacia who believe. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. In other words, Paul was saying, when we preached to you all, not only did it spread in Thessalonica, not only did it spread to Macedonia, but even it spread to Acacia and other parts of the world. In other words, we have to understand the power of the gospel. What is the power of the gospel? Because it tells us, who we are in Jesus Christ based on our faith, our labor of love, and patience of hope. Those elements, your faith, your love, your hope, all of those three elements tells people who you are in Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for you. And we have to remember too that the testimony of our faith is an example and it tells others what Christ can do for them. And then lastly, you have the transformation of our lives. Now why is the transformation of our lives so important when it comes to the power of the gospel? Because genuine repentance is the evidence of God's transforming power. Not only the power of the gospel tells us who we are in Christ and the transformation of our lives and the testimony of our faith, but it also brings about an impact as well. In fact, you read the entire first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians, well, including chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, you will understand the impact of the gospel encourages us to be holy, live in love, and keep the faith. Why is that important? Because when trouble arises, always keep the faith. And when we live in love, it teaches us to be the channel of God's love to others, and we can best show our faith by loving others. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, in verse 16, Paul, when he would write to the church at Rome, and he hadn't been in Rome at that time, he would say this, and it's a passage of scripture that we read so often, which says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. So I want to challenge you, who will you tell about Jesus Christ? He lives within you. You are a new breed of revivalists. It's time to be a bringer. It's time to introduce people to Jesus. And then last but not least, prayer. This is where I want to end with today's topic, prayer. Now you might ask, what's so great about prayer? Now. We all have people we like to stay in contact with. Even back in the day before technology ever came into play, you wanted to talk to your best friend or co-worker, you would do it face-to-face. But fast forward, what we have is technology, whether through Messenger, Zoom, chat rooms, text message, or phone call. Those are the ways we like to communicate with our friends and we don't like to stop talking to them. Did you know that God desires to communicate with us? And he wants us to commun- with, communicate with him on a daily basis through prayer. Why is prayer important? Because prayers are usually interrupted by the pressures of our schedule. That's why we don't have enough time to fit into our schedule for a little few moments with God. I challenge you, don't allow your prayer schedule to inter- don't allow your schedule to interrupt your prayer time with God. We must learn to pray regularly. It's just you talking to God and God talking to you. That's what prayer is all about. Prayer is you coming to God and you're talking with him on a daily basis. And whatever problems or troubles you may be facing, talk to the Lord. When you face a situation or a circumstance or a trial, just get on your knees and pray to the Lord. If you want to thank the Lord for his goodness, for his blessings, for his grace, for his mercy, just thank the Lord. In fact, one of the greatest heroes in the Bible that demonstrated prayer was Daniel himself. Even though he was living in a pagan, hostile land, even though he was a governor of a certain kingdom, Daniel still found time to spend time with the Lord in prayer and in worship. So why is prayer so important? Because we know, first of all, God listens to our prayers. He hears us. The he says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered them out of them all. Not only that, but God richly blesses us when we come to him in prayer. He wants to give us good things that he has in store for us. And also, too, God knows your needs. Right before you hit your knees on the ground and you talk to the Lord, God knows what your need is. He knows what you're coming to him about. And also, too, God seeks our prayers. He seeks that we come to him on a regular basis, talking with him, asking for help, wisdom, and guidance. Well, I pray that these 14 Encounter with God series has blessed your heart and soul and mind, and I challenge you to take those and apply those truths to your everyday life. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and you can listen to these podcast messages on the Wisdom app if you have an Apple device. You can also listen to this on the Anchor app On Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and on Verbal. Spread the word. Let others know about this podcast message. This is Daquan McKnight saying, until next time in the Lord, God bless you. I love you. Goodbye.